Let's open up to Job. You might want to actually start in chapter 1. You know, it's been a month since we've been in the book of Job. Uh, so this evening we get back to it as we do our best here at Calvary Chapel Monty to try to teach through the entire Bible. And it's going to take a while, but we're plugging away, right? The reason why we want to teach you that through the Bible, it's because it's then that we can give you the full counsel of God. And so that's one of the distinctives here in the church. We don't get to choose necessarily what to teach. God does, and we just keep teaching through the Bible. But now we're in the book of Job, and we learn these lessons from his life. And we see him as a man who suffered at the very hands of Satan while being in the hands of God. And we learn that truth. We, we learn that God doesn't author evil, but he does allow calamities. And everything is filtered through his sovereignty. So those things that do touch us uh, are actually intended to test us. And you go through life. You go through the hard times. It's been filtered through God's sovereignty. And so let me tell you something. It's perfect. It's perfect. No matter what it is that has touched your life, we look at it sometimes and we think it's a, it's a calamity when in all reality it's an opportunity for us to do a work in our life. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, those tragedies will be transformed into victories, right? Let's just say you mess up, you used to do drugs, heroin. My dad was a heroin addict for many years. When God set him free, God flexed his muscles and he showed this strength that nothing is too hard for God. So no matter what it is, understand that as it's been filtered through God's sovereignty and has touched your life, whatever it is, past, present, future, understand that God can use it for his glory, but we must keep our eyes on the Lord. You know, we learn in the book of Job that good things and bad things happen to both saved and unsaved people. It's just the world that we live in, right? That good person, so to speak, um, they go through bad things or that whatever, bad person. We see they experience good things, and sometimes we wonder, why does it work that way? Well, it's because we live in a fallen world, and like Job, we usually don't understand these things, why and what God is doing, right? And so when we're there, we don't understand. We must learn the way that Job did. He was honest. And he just poured out his heart to God. Because I'll tell you one thing, among other things, what God wants to do when we go through the trials is he wants to break us. He wants to bring us to a point of relationship with him that we have never been. He wants to draw us to our knees. He wants us to fall to our face. He wants us to pray. He wants us to fast. He wants us to seek him with all of our heart. And as you're there going through whatever it is you might be going through, understand that God is allowing that to bring us to that point. And you can be honest. You can be like, Lord, I don't understand. Lord, it hurts. Lord, you know, uh, this is this, you know, something that goes beyond me. But Lord, I trust you. I feel like you're not there. And we're going to see in our study today, there will be times in your life when God is silent, where it's almost like you can't hear his voice, but there will never be times in your life when God is absent. Never. He will always be with you. There will never, ever be a day or a moment 
or a situation. There will never be a time in your life as a Christian where God is not with you. He will never, ever, ever forsake you. You see, that, that's what we learn from the book of Job. You know, one last thing that's emphasized in this book is that the friends of those who are in the fire should be comforters, not judges, and, and, and definitely not heretics who think that just because someone is suffering that they're in sin. No, friends should be comforters willing to just be there. You know, you got someone who's going through whatever it is that they're going through. It's just so cool. You just go and you're there. You visit them. You're there for them and you listen. And, and we got to be very careful we're, when we're there with every word that comes out of our mouth. Because these guys right here, they didn't do the job right as friends. And so just to give you a few things among another million things that we're learning as we're studying this book, you know, it's been a month since we've been here, so I thought maybe we can go back to chapter 1 real quick. And we met Job as a man who feared God and shunned evil. He was blameless. Think about that. Blameless. He was blessed big time. He was rich. He had seven sons, three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Job chapter 1, verse 3, that he was the greatest of all people in the East. He had, he had basically everything going for him. I mean, he was rich. He was blessed beyond measure. I mean, big time, right? Until one day when the devil had a conversation with God. And the devil said to God, you know, the only reason Job serves you is because you've blessed him. The devil said, let me take it all away from him, and I'll bet you anything that he will curse you to your face. And so God allowed it, and the devil didn't waste any time. In a day, in one day, Job lost everything. Everything. And so, how did he react? Well, look what we read in Job chapter 1 in verse 20. After he lost everything, it says, Then Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He worshipped. Is that how we respond to trials? Is that how we react if we lose our job or we lose you know, a deal or we lose something that was, was dear to us, some material possession? Is that how we respond? Do we worship? We learn to do this from Job. And he worshiped. And he said, naked, I, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I, I'm, I'm going to return there. I can't take anything with me. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So it says, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. And so that, this is the man. This is the story. This is the, the background. In, in chapter 2, God brought up Job again as he's having a conversation with 
the devil, um, God was impressed with Job, but of course the devil wasn't. So again, he said to God, he said, skin for skin. He said, let me beat him down. Let me break his body up. He said to God, surely he'll curse you to your face. Again, let me take it all the way. And so God said, okay, I give you the green light. You can't kill him. But then Satan immediately left and he struck him with painful boils, the Bible says, from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. And afterwards, when that happened, we read in Job chapter 2 in verse 9, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast or do you still hold tight to your integrity? Curse God and die. And so he said to her, you, you speak as, as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. So, there's a distinction there, just a little nuance that you might want to notice. After the first set of calamities, he didn't charge God with wrong. He did after the second. We're going to see it. He said, Lord, you wronged me. But, but at the end of the day, the most important thing to know is that he didn't, from God's perspective, he didn't sin. And that's what we see for the rest of the book. Although he's struggling, although he's telling God, I don't understand. Although he's saying to God, I feel like, you know, you're doing me wrong. He didn't sin because see, God looks at the heart. And you know, sometimes we say things that, that we don't mean. He knows the pain. He knows the struggles. He knows the tears. No matter what it is that you've gone through in your life, he knows you. He loves you. And we got to know this about God. He sees so much deeper than the rest of us do. You know, when you think about the, the, the advice of his wife, it's pretty bad, huh? It makes you, you'll kind of understand why the devil didn't take her, huh? <laughs> you know, she just said, curse God and die. You know what that is? That's the plan of the devil. Curse God. I mean, what is that? Curse God. What is that? Is that just you saying, oh, God, you know, you're bad. Oh, God, you know, and you say a bad word. Is that what that is? No, that's like saying, God, you know, I don't believe in you. You're not real. You're, you're nothing. To, to curse God, it's almost like, to me, it's like saying, you know, you don't want him. I mean, it's what the devil wants to do. I want people, he says, to die and to go to hell. And so... You know, when we see what's going on here, it's a battle. It really is. And that's what the devil wants us to do. Curse God, die, because what happens, you go to hell. If someone doesn't believe in Christ. You know, there's that, it's more than just a word. It's a condition of the heart. It's something in which someone doesn't have that belief. But Job, thank God, he, 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 never, he never did that, man. He was more than what the devil thought and defeated the devil himself by the grace of and Spirit of God. And so Job is just sitting there in the middle of a pile of ashes. He's uh, scraping himself, the Bible says, or I don't know if it's scratching himself. It could be both. And in walk his friends. Altogether, we're going to see in the book of Job, there's going to be four friends. Um, the first uh, set, it only mentions three of them. 
You know, most of us, we don't know their names. We'll talk about that later. Um, but after seven days of silence, they begin to dialogue as uh, they then, this is kind of a bummer, man, they end up becoming instruments of the devil as well, trying to convince Job that he's in sin, and if he would just get right with God, then things would change. You know, the devil is interesting. Look at chapter 4, just for a second, if you would. And, and you know, because as they begin to speak, Aliphaz begins to speak, Look what it says in verse 15. It says, And then a spirit passed before my face. And so this is Aliphaz. And he's talking, uh, you know, and he's going to give his dialogue. And, and as he does, he's telling Job, you know, I saw a spirit. I saw a spirit, and it passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence, and then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal man be more righteous than God? And then he goes on, and basically what we see according to that passage is that the friends of Job were influenced by spirits. And these were not angels. This was not God influencing them. You guys who know the Bible, then who was it? It was the evil ones. And so when you go through this, it's interesting because they throw a lot of truth out there, and the, and the devil can do that. He can quote Bible verses, but he takes them out of context, and he puts them in places where they're not applicable. And so that's what's going on here. It's still a battle between Job and his God and the devil. And that's what this whole thing really is. You know, Job doesn't think he's perfect. You know, none of us are, right? None of us are. But he knows what they're saying about him is not true. You know, they're going back and forth in heated debates, and it just escalates for 35 chapters, and it doesn't end until God himself answers. We're going to see eventually in chapter 38 and the cool thing about it in life is that God has the final word, doesn't he? People can accuse you. They can say things about you. But understand this. One day the accuser and the accused will stand before God. And in chapter 38, you know, God had the, the last word. And the conclusion is this, that his friends were foes, that Job was just, and that God God was God. That God is God. And that's the most important truth of all. No matter what happens in life. I don't know what your suffering will be. You know, I've talked to parents who've lost a child. I've talked to, you know, husbands who don't have their wife anymore. Or, you know, vice versa. We've seen so many things happen. I you know, one Bible college student, I remember, this amazing young man, you know, named Ramon, and then one day he got a headache, he went to the doctor, found out that he had a, a tumor in, in his head, and then just, you know, the whole thing that happened to him, the suffering that he went through at a young age, you know, we go through things like this, and then talking to his mom, how will she respond to that? You know, she did great, and she's doing great. 
you know, going and then following in her son's footsteps and graduating from Bible college. Because the devil, through these things, thinks that he can knock you down and keep you down. But God wants us to take heart and learn the lesson from Job that no matter what, and we were singing that today, and I was just so blessed, that no matter what comes my way, I will not cease to follow the Lord with all of my heart. We're going to see some really cool lessons today. You know, we go through hard times. You know, I was just thinking about this. You know, when, when Jesus, uh, when the Lord Jesus Christ was beaten, when he was scourged, when he was mocked, when he was spit on, when he was nailed to a cross, it didn't feel good. You know, we go through things, and it might not feel good, but look what he was doing. He was redeeming the world. And when we go through our hard times, God has a way of taking those things that were intended to be stumbling stones and make them stepping stones and all the things that you've done in the past that the devil likes to remind you about and try to bring you down and condemn you. You can take it to God, and you can take, say, God, transform this and make it glorious and he will it's amazing what God can do he'll meet you here tonight and he will do that amazing work and so once again we're, we're back in chapter 18 and we pick it up in the middle of the debate and we read in verse 1 and then then Bildad the shoe height and so he was a short guy he was only as tall as a shoe he was shoe height no, I'm just joking. Bildad the Shuhite, he answered and he said, you know, he's talking to Job, how long till you put an end to words? Gain understanding and afterward we will speak. Why are we counted as beasts and regarded as stupid in your sight? You who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you or shall the, the rock be removed from its place? You know, Bildad, he asked Job, how long until you stop speaking your nonsense? That's what he's saying. Go away until you agree with us. Not until you agree with us will you have any common sense, and then we'll talk. He tells Job basically there that, that, that he's prideful and his anger doesn't do him any good. And then we see a theme that's woven throughout the book of Job, and that is the accusation that Job was wicked. Uh, their, their reasoning for saying that Job was wicked was because of all the heartache that happened in his life. Look at verse 5. It says, The light of the wicked indeed goes out, and the flame of his fire does not shine. In, in my Bible, as I'm trying to figure out you know, what exactly they're saying, I circled the word wicked because that was their accusation against him, saying he was wicked. Um, notice for a moment, if you would, in, uh, in this uh, chapter, as we go through, we're going to see it over and over again. For example, look at verse 21 of Job 18. It says, Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked. If you go over to chapter 20, uh, Zophar he also said the same thing. He said in verse 5 of chapter 20 that the triumphing of the wicked is short. 
We see it again when Job defends himself in chapter 21, verse 7, chapter 21, verse 30. He's talking about, you know, the, the wicked, and he's trying to tell them this lesson that he's not, and there is a distinction between him and others. You know, Bildad basically says Job is wicked, and such a primitive thought when you uh, try to say that about people based on what's happened to them in their life. You know, I remember in the book of Acts chapter 28, do you guys remember Paul was in the boat and they got a shipwreck, and next thing you know, they're on the island of Malta, and then Paul goes and he collects some sticks, he's such a servant, and then he throws them in the fire, next thing you know, a snake attaches to his arm, do you guys remember that? And so what did the Maltans say? They said, oh, he must be a bad guy. You know, he escaped the sea, but now a snake, uh, you know, has got him, right? That's how people are. They'll look at someone, they'll say, oh, they've gone through bad things in their life. They must be a bad person. But it doesn't work that way. And so what did Paul do? He just shook off the snake, and because he didn't get sick or ill, they said, oh, he's a god. That's how primitive people are. They look at and they judge things based on appearance, right? And so they, they said he's, he's wicked, and we're going to see that throughout. Then we read in verse 6, uh, Bildad continues. He says that the light is, is dark in his tent, speaking of the wicked, and his lamp beside him is put out. The steps of his strength are shortened, and his own counsel casts him down. For he is cast into a net by his own feet, and he walks into a snare. The net takes him by the heel, and a snare lays hold of him. A noose is hidden for him on the ground, and a trap for him in the road. Terrors frighten him on every side and drive him to his feet. His strength is starved, and destruction is ready at his side. It devours patches of his skin, and the firstborn of death devours his limbs. What is Bill Dad saying? He's saying you're going to die. He's saying you've been trapped, and you can visualize whatever those traps that hunters set for animals, or you can he even talks about a noose. I mean, basically, he's saying unless you get right with God, that you're going to die. You know, notice those words there. He uses in verse seven his own counsel. Uh, that's what's ruined Job. His own counsel. In verse eight, he talks about his own feet. That. Basically, you've done this to yourself. It's your own fault, right? You know, but, but this evening, as we look at this with 2020 hindsight, you know, I'm glad that Job followed his own counsel. I'm glad that Job stepped with his own feet, so to speak. And you guys, we have to do that. You know, someone might come and they might, you know, pressure you, you know, to act a certain way that's wrong. Even sometimes some Christians whose, uh, I don't know if their intentions are good or not, doesn't even matter. You must follow the Lord. I mean, there is a place for a multitude of counselors. Don't get me wrong. And of course, we should never contradict God's word. But we have a personal relationship with God. And whatever you do, do not ever set someone else up as a mediator between you and God. You know, let the Lord counsel you. Let him, you know, show you how to walk and where to walk. We do have a God who's personal, who himself will speak to you. And so I'm blessed that Job took his own counsel and he walked 
the way that God led him to do. You know, uh, when you look at this, what we see is Bildad hits close to home in verse 14, elaborating on the life of the wicked. Look at verse 14 again. He's saying this about the wicked and, of course, implying that this is Job. He says in verse 14 that he is uprooted from the shelter of his tent and they parade him before the king of terrors. That is probably in reference to death. The king of terrors is, is death. I mean, he's again just saying he's going to die. It's kind of cool. I don't know if you guys knew this. Job went on to live another 140 years. The more than likely he was 70 years old when this all happened, right around there. That's what they say based on the ages of his children. And everything else got doubled. He got double sheep and, and oxen and uh, donkeys and servants. And he got 10 more kids, which again doubles his kids. Everything got doubled, even his years. And so they said he's going to die. And God said, no, you still got 140 years. So this is what's going on, right? They, they paraded him before the king of terrors. They, they dwell in his tent who are none of his. Brimstone is scattered on his dwelling. His roots are dried out below and his branch without withers above. The memory of him perishes from the earth and he has no name among the renowned. He is driven from light into darkness and chased out of the world. That, that's, that's dying, right? And he has neither son nor posterity, no, no descendants among his people, nor any remaining in his dwellings. Those in the west are astonished at his days. Those in the east are frightened. And surely such are the dwellings of the wicked. And this is the place of him who does not know God. And I don't know, you guys, I, I mean, there's a lot here. I have a hard time going through big chunks of the Bible. But, but just, I, I do want to say this, that, you know, you, you, you got to know who you are. You know, you're God's son. You're God's daughter. You know, you're, you're redeemed. You're forgiven. You're free. You know, the enemy likes to come in and just hammer us down. And what ends up happening is we start believing his lies. You know, that's not who we are. And again, none of us are perfect. We all have areas of our life, you know, that we have to surrender to the Lord. But man, the enemy, he is relentless in the way that he wants to bring us down and down and down. And we need to rise up. You know, we don't, we can't listen to his lies, you know. I mean, he has a way of knowing what, what hurts us, you know. All of us here, I don't know, what is it that would hurt you the most? Or where's your Achilles tendon? Or what is that place most vulnerable to you, you know? I mean, for me, and I, and I don't know, there's a, there's a few things I can think of. Of course, it starts with my family. But, um, you know, uh, I mean, if, if all my kids died, if like all of them died in one day and someone came up to me and said the reason they died is because they were in sin and you're in sin. And then, and then they came up to me and they were reminding me of that. And by the way, you're wicked and you will have no descendants. Then that's what the enemy's trying to do to Job right now. He's just trying to destroy him. And you know, Job, I don't know, man, praise God for his faith because he could have very easily just said, you know what, you're probably right. But thank God he 
fought. He fought it. And we have to do the same thing. Bildad here hits way below the belt. He says, Job, you've lost your house and you've lost your home. Your descendants, they're gone, they're dead, and you're being chased out of the world as well, paraded before the king of terrors. There in verse 19, the NLT says, they will have neither children nor grandchildren nor any survivor in the place where they lived. You know, and that must have hurt him, right? I mean, verse 21, he says, Surely such are the dwellings of the wicked. Bildad was so convinced that Job was wicked and in sin that he sunk even to a lower spot and he told Job that he wasn't even saved. I mean, do you ever hear that from the enemy? You know, you guys, you know the Lord, thank God, that salvation is, is in one sense, and I, don't, I hope you don't take this wrong, but... In one sense, it's easy. It, it, a faith of that little three-year-old over there, that little four-year-old over there. I remember Dr. Duffield, he got saved when he was five. When he was five years old, he said, yes, I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. I, I need him. I, I received Jesus into my heart. I mean, it could be a, an eight-second prayer you might not even verbalize it. It might just be a cry of your heart. I mean, to, to get saved, in one sense, is so easy. You know, for us, it was hard for Christ. It was hard for the Father. It was hard for the Holy Spirit to see that whole thing take place on Calvary. But for us, it's so easy, you know, to receive Christ as a gift. It's a gift that we receive so, so you're saved. You are saved. And then the devil comes in and he says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And a lot of times what ends up happening is Christians, they begin to struggle with that. And you know, I just have to tell them, well, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that you need him? Do you believe he died for you on the cross and rose again the third day? 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, simple faith. Do you believe? Yeah. Okay, then. Your name is written in the book of life. Your name is written in the book of life. So if the devil comes and he says that you're not, you're not, you're not God's, don't you believe it for a second? You belong to the Lord. You know, here it's crazy what he says in verse 21. Again, surely such are the, the dwellings of the wicked, and this is the place of him who does not no God. I mean, I trip out on that verse. You want to know why? Because this is Job. I mean, chapter 1, God was bragging about him. Chapter 1, God was saying, there's no one like this guy. He's blameless, upright. He fears God. He shuns evil. I mean, this guy was not just saved. He was super saved. I mean, it's crazy, you know? And here's the devil trying to say through this person, that he doesn't even know the Lord. You know, that's the way the enemy is, man. He is a liar. And we have to be so careful that we do not believe his lies. So many people are so powerless, powerless, because they believe the lies of the devil. 
that's the armor that he has. I mean, that's the weapons that he has. He's shooting those fiery darts your way all day long, and you're just taking them in. What do you need to do? You need to take up that shield of faith with which you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You need to know your Bible. You need to know who you are in Christ. And so, you know, here we see that to know the Lord, really what we find is synonymous with being saved. John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so, you know, Bildad was saying that Job wasn't saved. And so, what if Job would have believed him? Thank God he didn't. And so we see in verse 19, then Job answered. Now he comes and he says, How long will you torment my soul and break me in pieces with these words? These uh, ten times you have reproached me, which is a Hebrew idiom for just meaning a lot. You've done this a lot. You are not ashamed that you have wronged me. And if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. If indeed you exalt yourselves against me and plead my disgrace against me, know then that God has wronged me and has surrounded me with his net. You know, in verse 3, we see that Job felt his friends had wronged him. And in verse 6, he kind of felt that God had wronged him. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Again, we've talked about this, how uh, God knows how you feel, so you might as well be transparent. I don't know how your prayer life is. Do you have a prayer life? Do you go somewhere? Like for me, I get to go into my garage, and, and it's all alone with God, and I can get on my face, and I can cry, and I can tell him anything. You know, and I just pour out my heart to him. Do you... Do that. Because if not, then you should. You should have a place where you can get away and just be transparent with God. For me, I don't know about you, but when you guys pray, how many of you here pray out loud? When you're praying, just you and the Lord. How many of you here pray out loud? Okay. And so the rest of you here, you're, you're praying in your heart, right? You're silent. For me, I just got to pray out loud. I don't know why, man. I said something that just, man, get it out. And you're just talking to God. And it kind of stirs up my faith. I even hear it myself. And, you know, I don't know. Try it. Try it. You know, people might think you're crazy, but it's okay, you know. <laughs> and all I know is that it's got to be transparent. It's got to be real. Lord, I'm having a hard time with that person over there. You know, um, I don't know if I would use the word hate. I know some people do, you know. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I would use that, but... Whatever it is, I mean, do you think God knows that you don't like them, you know? Think God knows you're struggling with them? He knows that. And so here's Job again. We talked about this. Kind of going up and down, saying things maybe he doesn't really mean in his heart. We talked about that. How sometimes our kids say things that they don't really mean. You know, I don't love you. You don't love me. You know, and as a parent, man, you learn don't take those things to heart because that can ruin your relationship, right? I think that's where Job was with God. He thought that men had wronged him, and they, and they had, but he also thought that God had wronged him, and God didn't. And let me just reiterate that, that God's way towards you, no matter what you will experience in life, is perfect. Perfect. 
We can trust him. That's awesome. You see, and that's one of the things that we learn, how God works everything for good. Look what he says in verse 4, And if indeed I have erred, my error remains with me. And that's an interesting passage. Because basically he says, is that even if I have sinned, that's none of your business. <laughs> he says, that's my concern, not yours. And that's an interesting thought. Real quick, just as a side note. Someone over here, let's just say they had sinned. Okay, let's just say they had. Are you the Holy Spirit? I mean, sometimes God will lead you to go over there and confront them, but some people believe they are the Holy Spirit. I got a T-shirt, man. I'm the one. I'm going to set everybody straight, and I'm going to do it now. Right? And, and, and what does the Bible say? Romans 14.4, Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. You know, I mean, someone does something wrong, and I've learned this in life, that if I think I'm the one that's going to set them straight and fix everything, then uh, I'm, I'm gravely mistaken because I actually might get in the way of what the Holy Spirit wants to do by insisting on my immediate involvement. I mean, we got to be careful. Again, not that you're afraid to confront sin when you need to, but truth and timing are imperative. Let me ask you a question. Why did Nathan wait so long to rebuke David? Why? Why did he wait so long? And, and I don't know for sure, but I know it was after the child was born, David had already committed adultery. He had already committed murder. Now he's, you know, putting on this whole show like he's right with God. And it wasn't until after the baby that was born that Nathan confronted David. Why? Well, it's more than likely because David wasn't ready yet. And, and so for us, this is all I can say. I'm not going to tell you, tell you not to do it. I'm not going to tell you to do it. I will just say this. We must be led by the Spirit and not the flesh. Because if we're led by the flesh, we will make things worse. We have to stay in step with the Spirit. Timing is everything. And so, of course, we know God wasn't wrong in any of this, but he was silent. Look at verse 7. He says, If I cry out concerning wrong, I am not heard. If I cry aloud, there is no justice. He has fenced up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has set darkness in my paths. He has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. He breaks me down. Look at this. It's, I underlined this in my Bible. It's just so heartbreaking. He breaks me down on every side, and I am gone. My hope he has uprooted like a tree. He has kindled his wrath against me, and he counts me as one of his enemies. This is how... How Job felt. His troops, he says, God's troops come together and build up their road against me. They encamp all around my tent. And you know, I don't know. That's a, you remember, Job doesn't have the whole Bible like we had. He doesn't know about Calvary. He doesn't know the cross. He doesn't have the New Testament. So, you know, it's a, it's a little different than us. But I will say this try it. Try it. Try pouring out 
your heart to God. I promise you this, that, that if you do, there, a burden will be lifted. That's what Job is doing here. This is how he felt, and God knew it, right? In verse 13, he has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed, and my close friends have forgotten me. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger. I'm an alien in their sight. I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife, and I am I'm repulsive to the children of my own uh, body. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me, and those, notice this, whom I love have turned against me. That's, that's crazy, huh? You know, in the previous verses, he says there was a fence between him and his father. So as far as prayer goes and that communication goes, it was silent. But like I said earlier, sometimes God is silent, but he's never absent. And now we learn that there may be times in our life where, where we feel all alone. You know, and that happens in different ways. You know, you can be in a whole crowd of people and, and feel all alone. I mean, here literally he was abandoned by his brothers, acquaintances, close friends, servants, those who lived in his house, even his own wife. And he wasn't just offensive to them. It says in verse 17 that he was repulsive to them. You know, that, that the word right there in verse 17, where again he says, my breath is offensive to my wife, I'm repulsive to the children of my own body. You might look at that and say, wait a minute, I thought all his kids died. Well, in the Hebrew, my own body, it literally means my belly or my womb. And most teachers believe this to mean the children of his own mother. And so again, going back to his brothers. Bottom line is, you know, he was, he was all alone. And there, you might feel that way sometimes. And, and that God sometimes will allow that to happen. Because as I've shared with you many times, sometimes the only tr way to, to truly know that Jesus is all you need is if he's all you have. And there might be times where you feel like, man, my spouse doesn't understand me. My kids, they, they, don't, they don't really love me. Um, you know, the, the church and, you know, whatever, friends, and, and, and you just don't understand. But, but do you know, do you know the Lord is with you? Let me ask you a question. Isn't he all you need? That's why Hebrews 13.5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I mean, we have to basically live a life where it, I can lose everything. I can lose everyone. Everyone might turn against me. But you know what? I'm okay with that. Because I know God won't. And when you're there, man, you're in a good spot. Psalm 27.10, it says, Close to your heart. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And so let's finish up this chapter. Um, there's a, 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 an important part here. 
In verse 20, he says, My bones cling to my skin and to my flesh, and I have escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, have pity on me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? You know, I can't even imagine what Job looked like. I mean, skin and bones alive, think about it, by the skin of his teeth. That's not a lot of skin. He's just pleading for pity, not persecution, right? And then verse 23, he says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pin and lead forever. I mean, he was just like praying that, that these words would live on. Somehow, some way, little did he know that they would make it in the Bible where they would be preserved truly by God himself, huh, forever and ever. And so he says right there, this is why he wants us to know, because there is a testimony. Look at verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Isn't, isn't that cool? Whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. If you should say, how shall we persecute him, since the root of the matter is found in me? Listen, be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know there is a judgment. You know, real quick, I, I know we're late. You guys are thinking in and out already, man. But just bear with me for a second, okay? Because this is so important right here. I mean, what, what we have in verse 25 through 27 is absolutely astounding that it's found in the Old Testament. I mean, when you, when you see what he says right there, for I, I know, I, I know, not I, I hope or not I think, I know my Redeemer lives. One day, maybe when you're there at the point of death, I don't know, hopefully we all get raptured, but who knows, maybe one day when you're there, will you know? Will you believe? Or will you be struggling in your faith because you never really drew near to God? You know, learning His Word, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. He, he knew, I know my Redeemer. I mean, he knew about the Redeemer. He had no book in the Bible, but he knew about the Redeemer, the one who would buy him back. When you think about that, it's the first time the title is found in the whole Bible. It's uh, found frequently in the Messianic book of Isaiah, speaking over and over and over again about who? About Jesus. So I know my Redeemer. He's not dead. He lives, right? He lives. We see that in Ephesians 1, 7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. You know how He bought us back. We were made by Him. We sinned. We went our own way. But God went, and the Bible says in Matthew 13, He sold everything He had. It's like a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. He sold everything that He had, everything. He went, He bought the field. 
because of that treasure in the field, and that's you. I mean, he bought us back. I mean, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19 that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from our aimless conduct, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. How valuable are you? How valuable are you in that God would send his only son and that by his blood, which is indicative of his death, that he shed for you, that he would die for you. If you were the only person who ever received Christ, he still would have died. Because that's the way he loves you, as if you're the only one to love. How precious are you that you have been redeemed? I mean, Job, he knew this. I know that my Redeemer lives, and one day he's going to stand on the earth. I mean, do you doubt that? I hope you don't, because one day Jesus is coming back. He's going to stand on earth. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. And we know this, and I pray that you do. After we die, Job says, after my skin's destroyed, I know this, that in my flesh, not just some, you know, body or whatever that's, that's without, you know, not some spirit. I mean, in my flesh, I'm going to have a redeemed body you know, and that's going to be cool. We were talking, we were hearing about that today. You know, like when we get to heaven, how old will we be in heaven? What do you guys think? 18, 33? I don't know. I'm, when you wonder, you know, how tall are we going to be? What color hair will I have? I mean, stuff like that. I mean, but in, I'm going to have a body in my flesh. I shall see God. Isn't that cool? You know, and that's, I mean, if Job believed that, he had confidence in that, how much more so should we? I, I love the last thing that he says right here, how my heart yearns within me. One of the things I learned, and I'll, and I'll close with this, I remember one time uh, someone asked uh, uh, a pastor, they, they said, you know, why is it that, I still struggle. You know, why is it that even though sometimes things, they, they all kind of seem right in life, that I still feel like, like something's missing? And I remember the pastor, he said, it's because we're not home yet. You know, a lot of times, and, and even Christians, they, they get this misconception that well, if I just, you know, dot every I and cross every T, if I, you know, if I do everything right, then I'm sure I can reach a, a, like, a like a nirvana on earth, you know. I can have this commune place where, man, just everything is going to be perfect, you know. And, and let me just tell you something. I mean, praise God, we try. But, man, you will never feel complete until you're home. Until then, there's always going to be a little bit of this missing and a little bit of that. I mean, thank God we have this joy that's amazing on planet Earth, even as Christians. But our heart yearns within us for another place because this is not our home. We're fish out of water, but one day we'll be there.
I like what Psalm 63 says. It says a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And he said, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And in one sense, that, that's where we all are, you guys. There's this thirst. There's this longing. I don't know. Not that I want to die. I don't want to die, okay? I still got work to do. You guys still got work to do. You know that, right? But do you look forward to heaven? I mean, that's going to be cool. And there's a lot of cool things about heaven that I look forward to. No dental floss or um, deodorant, whatever. But, you know, seeing loved ones that have passed on before us, you know, meeting Job, just think one day we're going to meet him, Paul and others. But, of course, the most amazing thing is that we're going to see God. You know, I don't know how it is, and I'll just share this with you from a theological perspective. I don't know how we're going to see the Father because He is Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit, too. I don't know for sure. Maybe they're just going to be like a presence, uh, kind of invisible, but kind of majestic, glorious. I'm not sure, but I do know this. We're going to see Jesus. Huh? Well, what's it going to be like when you see Him? I mean, I can only imagine, right? The scars in his hands and feet and side. I mean, it's just going to be amazing. So prayerfully, you guys, um, heaven is not just a destination that you, uh, you know, you're like, wow, I, I don't want to go there. No. Hopefully it's a motivation. Lord, I, I know I've got work to do, and I'm going to finish my race, but Lord, I do look forward to that day and that I'm 